Uh, we have had a glorious two-day um, healing mission with uh, the gifts of Father John with us. It's been such a huge blessing. Um, I know because uh, people have shared that healings have taken place, that the Lord has been very present and um, that presence of God's Holy Spirit is still very palpably present in this place. So thank you for all of those who prayed over this healing mission ahead of time, who prayed over the campus and who were praying uh, during the time of the mission and know that um, I know uh, Father John's uh, prayer ministers was, were also praying uh, for this time as well. So um, this is the second time Father John has been with us. A huge blessing to have him here. Um, he was formerly rector of Good Shepherd in Haynesville, uh, a congregation known to Jim and Joy Sutton, and uh, where an old uh, Neshoda House buddy of mine is currently rector. So it's amazing um, how a small church we uh, live and worship in, um, extending into the Carolinas and beyond. So um, I just, I am thrilled to have Father John open up God's word and his heart for healing to you this day. So thank you, John. Let's have a word of prayer with you, my brother. Lord, I thank you for this, your beloved servant. Thank you for his heart for your people, Lord. And I just pray an anointing on him this time as he opens up your heart in a word of encouragement to your people, Lord, in need of that word of hope for healing. It's in your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. So am I, am I empowered? Good, I'm empowered by prayer and by the PA system both. Good. So just a couple of thank yous, first of all, to all those involved with the healing mission, the OSL chapter, the, uh, the details, the, the lunch, the food, Sarah's support and hospitality. And uh, I highly recommend the Bloodworth B&B to you. So Mary and Daryl and Krista, thank you so much. Uh, it, it made my stay even more comfortable for all that you did. And I want you to know, I, I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ from the Diocese of Western North Carolina. And I'm also going to be bold enough that I take full credit for the cool mountain weather that you are experiencing. <laughs> Now, I, I fly back home this evening, so I, I pray there will be a little bit more of that cool <laughs> to be here. So, um, so, indeed, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart reflect the word unfolded, given, preached, and received. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 A number of years ago... Uh, just out of seminary. In fact, uh, I went to that other seminary, your uh, rector, uh, and did you go to Neshota? And Cameron, oh my goodness, both of them graduates in Neshota House. I went to Seabury Western in Evanston, Illinois, and part of the fun amongst the communities of those two seminaries is that we would have an annual spring uh, softball uh, game, I don't know if they still do that now or not, 
foot, well, it was both. It was football in the fall and spring, and these crazy folks from Neshota, they would have these, have these big banners, and they were blown-up baseball cards, and they would have them on a post like this, and they would be in this, this funny garments that they were wearing, and they would go to first base, and they would go to second base, and they were chanting, Oh my goodness, you didn't, you didn't have a chance to see that. I thought these folks from Neshota House were really pretty strange. <laughs> and then in the fall, we had our own bowl game. If you haven't heard it, it was called the Lavavo Bowl. Do you have a Lavavo Bowl back there? Would you hold up what we know as a Lavavo Bowl if you're in the altar guild? There's a lavabo bowl that you wash your hands in, so <laughs> it's, it's good to have a little bit of fun in seminary and to just kind of let your hair down and be with each other. But following my time at, um, at Seabury Western and then back to Vermont, the Diocese of Vermont, um, and was called to a small church, St. Mark's Episcopal Church, right on the Canadian border up in the northeast. And uh, the week that I was to be ordained a priest, I got a phone call from my sister saying that she and mom were not going to be able to come to the ordination. So a major disappointment for them, for me. But even more important, it was the reason. She was in the hospital, mother was in the hospital, diagnosed with leukemia, an acute case of leukemia. This is something that we have in common in our humanity, isn't it? Is there a family that has not faced a similar situation, a loved one, a child, a sibling, a spouse, a grandparent, a close friend in the hospital recently diagnosed with a life-threatening illness? And so go through the ordination, fly back to Columbus, Ohio. We were raised on a family farm just outside of Columbus. My mother was the director of the nursing school uh, attached to the hospital where she was now a patient. We prayed, just like everyone here in those situations. We gathered around and we prayed. But what was new for me was that I was, I was, st- I was a newly ordained Episcopal priest. The, the crease was still in my, in my robe, you know, and, and all that. It just wet behind the ears. And so as we gathered at her bed and said those prayers, I had this internal struggle because now I was blessed to be able to do the blessing of the sacrament of healing. I think really we're all called to participate in giving the sacrament of healing to one another. But back then it was, it was more clergy-oriented. And, um, and, and the struggle was, my confession, is that I flew back to Vermont without administering the sacrament of healing to my own mother. Now, I prayed for healing, but I was also praying for ignorance. Either I was asleep at, at Seabury Western the day they talked about healing, uh, or I cut class. Because and it's part of the dilemma in our church churches. I think it's a little different from Neshota. I think Neshota has some of that preparation in the area of healing ministry and the power of the Spirit. But most of them don't. And so my question was, I had this inner knowing that the medicine was not going to cure my mother of leukemia. It was ultimately going to depend upon prayer. I just I think that God knowing, how God gives us a sense of something. And so my question, my academic question, 
does Jesus still heal today? My personal question, Jesus, do you still heal today? You see the difference? One is more academic, one is more here. The other one is more in relationship and here. Jesus, do you still heal today? And I didn't know. I literally didn't know. I had a sense of it. I wanted to believe. It's like that, that father of the son, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Hmm? That's where I was. And so flying back to Vermont, uh, had this pretty interesting prayer conversation. I was pleading ignorance. That was the cause of withholding the sacrament. And the Lord was not going to have anything to do with that. Because we worship a God of truth, don't we? And the spirit of truth will set us free. And so the spirit of truth was setting me free from the deception of ignorance. I said, okay, Lord, what is it? What's at the root of holding back this sacrament? Why couldn't I step into that? And what I heard was fear. The word fear. And I knew that it was exactly right, that it resonated within me that if I administered the sacrament uh, and my mother got worse, my mother died from leukemia, it would be, um, I would lose that confidence in my faith. I just had a sense of that. And see how fear, first of all, it takes this, it takes the focus, it takes the attention away from where it needs to be and puts it on ourself, right, in that. So that began a journey that continues today to learn how to pray for healing. But that first year was just so important. When God wants us to learn something, God is going to provide the teachers and the mentors. God is going to provide the opportunities. God is going to call us in healing prayer to work through some of our own stuff. And so, but the most important mentor was right here. It's the, the word and how in, when we come to it, it's, it's the living word. And when we're really studying a particular area, all of a sudden new things can come, can jump out at us. Verses that we've read over and over again, all of a sudden there's new meaning. And so I'm, I'm looking at Sarah, and I told them at the 8 o'clock, there's an old custom in eastern North Carolina that if uh, the guest preacher goes on preaching too long, is that the folks in the back pew, they start to hum. If the preacher still keeps on going, then, then everybody, but not you, Dick, not the ordained folks, can't. And uh, they hum the preacher down. Because uh, I, I tend to lose track. It's, it's such a passion for me now. Uh, and, and to share that, I lose track of time, so you help me. <laughs> you can go, <clears throat> something like that, or hum. And so how the word has new meaning. The revelation is waiting to jump out. And so Luke chapter 4, the gospel lesson that was read today just became so important. Chapters 3 and chapters 4 of Luke, I believe, is Jesus' manifesto for healing ministry. Listen to just parts of it again. Looking at verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord. Now remember, this part of Isaiah was written like 700 years ago. And at the end of this reading, remember the last thing that Jesus said before he handed the scroll back to the attendant? Today... This scripture is, thank you, this was the interactive part of the sermon, so you're okay, all right, you're still awake. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. How does God do that? How does God have someone write these words 700 years later, Jesus stands up and says, today, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. And it related to my question, Jesus, 
Are you still fulfilling this word this day? Thousands of years later, I needed to know. I wanted to know. And by God, literally, by God, I came to know. Amen? And we do. Ooh. And so, mm -hmm, I like that. (laughs) I'm going to come right over here. Mm. (laughs) says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Remember, the word Christ in Hebrew literally means anointed one. And so here it is. He's saying, I have been anointed. I am the anointed one who's bringing good news to the poor. And here is what Jesus is pulling out and sharing with his disciples. This is the good news. There's more good news than this, but this is what he's choosing here to share. He says, "Um, good news for he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Just very quickly, I think that's where we are held captive by the, the hurts of the past, the trauma of the past. The, the, the psychologists, the physicians, they have been saying for a number of years that what happens to us in the past continues to hold on to us in the present unless we bring it out so we can be worked through and healed and let go. So in terms of any kind of shame or guilt or rejection and abandonment, sources of anger, sources of holding grudges, holding on to unforgiveness, is that when we move, healing prayer is always seeking to get at the origin to work through it. And if we never get to the origin, it's going to be awfully hard for, to get free from these kind of very human emotions, okay, to set the captives free. So this, it's two things. One, it's the sins of the other person that fall upon us. Has anyone ever done you wrong? Has anyone ever said unkind words about you, untruths about you? betrayed you, led you to believe one thing and did the other. We know what that is like. But we also know that we, too, to set the captives free, is not only the consequences of another person's sin, but also our own. Also the consequences of our own sin. So we're not held captive by that. So this is what Jesus is talking about. And then he says, recovery of sight to the blind. I think, yes, so we can see clearer, that we can see better. It's also talking about physical healing. So the spiritual healing, healing setting us free from the consequences of our sin. Here it is physical healing. And the third part is to let the oppressed go free. I think Jesus is talking about spiritual oppression. I mean, he's, he's always dealing with these critters, with these demonic and evil spirits. And isn't it interesting that they're the ones who know who Jesus is? <laughs> right? They always recognize who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God. So anyway, that was one of the first learnings, the first mentoring is understanding that Jesus himself is using healing ministry as a way of describing that he is the one that they've been waiting for. In fact, remember, John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, if, is, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one that we've been looking for? And you remember what Jesus said to those disciples? Go back to to John and tell them that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing. So he's describing his own Messiahship in terms of healing prayer. Now, if we go to the very end of Luke 4, if we look at verse 42, he's had a very busy day. (laughs) That all in Judea have come to him. And 
It says at, at daybreak, he just he was so tired, he was so worn out. It says at daybreak, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. As wonderful as you folks are here at Good Shepherd, Jesus, perhaps if he had been here with you all day, he needed to get out to the Wakiva Springs and just have a quiet moment hmm? with that. In his, in his humanness, right? He's fully human, so he's going to get tired. He said the crowds, though, were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But Jesus says to them, now listen, says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus has already described in great part what that good news looks like, what it is. I've come uh, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for this purpose. Hmm? So much of Jesus' ministry has to do with healing. In fact, if you take out the birth narratives and if you take out the passion narratives, Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, what you have left is a recording of his public ministry. And literally, depending upon Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Anywhere from 28 to 33 percent is about his healing ministry. So for Jesus, it was huge. It was a priority. And no wonder, because Jesus is the author of our salvation, right? He is the, in our, our liturgy, we say that. And the word salvation in the Greek is sozo, which literally means health and wellness and wholeness. Jesus says, I have come so that you would be well, that you would be whole. And even as your bodies are fading, we'll just look at those, with, those of us with gray hair now. And there, there's a couple. I mean, it's not the same, is it? You know, we're not quite as mobile as we used to be. Maybe we can't hear quite as well. Maybe we don't have the energy. So with that, we know that, that we lose some of those physical path capacities as we age at the very same time, our spirit can be soaring. I remember Margie. Now, you gotta, you're going to have to help me out here, okay, in terms of time-wise. But Margie is a retired nurse. She worked at an area with alcoholics. She was a heavy-set woman. And, uh, and I could tell something. She was carrying this burden. Sometimes you and I, we just know by the countenance of another person. So she asked me, would you pray with me? And I said, you bet. And I, th- I thought it might have... Um, to do with her knee. There was such fluid buildup in her legs. She had a car that was low to the ground, and she could lift up one leg into the car, but she didn't have the strength to lift the other leg. I can't tell you how many times others and myself were in the parking lot after church to help her lift that leg in her car. So we were going to have some prayers for physical healing, but when we got together, she said, yes, I need that, but oh, what I need more than anything is that I've been estranged from my daughter for two years. Can you imagine being estranged from your child for two years? And apparently there was a huge argument, lips open before brain engaged, you know, that kind of thing, and very hurtful daggers sent to each other's heart to where they hadn't talked with each other. So we went into this prayer. We invited Jesus into that hurt into that argument. And in prayer, she closed her eyes. She could see herself as if it was happening. And her daughter was there, and Jesus was there. 
It's only the Spirit that can do this, right? And all of a sudden, she heard her, heard Jesus' words, and she then had the freedom to share with her daughter in prayer, not in person, and to the place where she was able uh, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for her daughter's forgiveness uh, for the unkind words that the mother said to the daughter. And then she was able to tell her daughter that she forgave the daughter for those unkind words. Unforgiveness is toxic. It is toxic to our well-being. The two don't go together, well-being and, and unforgiveness. And so that was the key. It just lifted off. And so I fast forward now a couple of months. I hadn't seen Margie for a couple of months. Remember, he's a nurse, a woman of medicine. And I, when I saw her, I said, well, how, how's, you know, we prayed for the knees. We prayed for the legs. And I said, how, how, is, how, how are you physically? And she said, there's been no change. She said, I, it's, it's still as hard to get her around as, as possible. But within just a day or two after we prayed and for my daughter, and I was able to forgive and receive forgiveness, Guess who called me? <laughs> the first time in two years. Here is the kingdom power of God that is released within the body of Christ. It was her daughter that called. And what happens in healing in her hearts and forgiveness, kingdom power is released. And as I, I said it several times over the mission, is that whatever is retained on earth is retained in heaven. And so when we're not able to forgive, when we're holding on to that unforgiveness, it's held on to in heaven. It, it, it still has a place there. But when we make the choice to forgive, oh, my goodness, it's loosed in heaven. And lives are transformed. Hmm? Lives are literally transformed. She said, my legs are the same, but my spirit is soaring. My spirit is soaring. See how all that, that, that God does use the physical healing, does use the physicians, does use the nurses, does use the physical therapist, does use the radiologist and, um, and to, to bring about healing. Um, God uses the medicines, and I think I'm probably almost getting too long, aren't I, in this. Ending story of my mom. Okay, thanks. So, the, uh, so, so let's come back to mom. Thank you. That, that's a good place for us to go. And so the cancer has been in uh, remission uh, for about a year. And um, I'm a chaplain for a middle school uh, church conference in our diocese or a conference center. I get a call from my sister Annie and says, you've got to get home as soon as you can back to Columbus. Uh, Mom's in the hospital. She's been running a fever of 105 for uh, going on three days, she's in a coma, and is basically non-responsive. So see, here it is, is that medicine has done all it could do. And if there was going to be something that would save my mom, I already knew it was Jesus. It's either going to be on this side of heaven or on the other side, right? We, we, are, we weren't ready to lose her. It's important just to be honest with God in prayer because God already knows our heart. We go to the hospital room. We say prayers, 